Good evening, everyone, and everyone listening. I am Kami Lingus here with. Am I having deja vu? I feel like I was just here. Here with another edition of 89.1, also known as WNYU's very own category is drag cast interview stravaganza why is it an interview stravaganza why we have an interview this week and who are we interviewing you well get you to find out well you read the title if you're reading this online if not if, if you're on the radio then you still don't know and it well surprise radio listeners we spoke with the wonderful Honey Davenport, so listen in. We have with us today a singer, actor, activist, and drag queen that was the queen bee of her season on Drag Race. I'm happy to have with us today the wonderful Honey Davenport. How are you today? I'm great. It is a lovely day in New York City. It's like some kind of like lunar eclipse or something. It, right? it, is it or is it like uh, is something in retrograde? Always something's you know, <laughs> oh, but only since I've been an adult. Like when I was a child, <laughs> nothing was in retrograde. Like that wasn't a thing. Yeah. Because if that was a thing, uh, trust me, in high school I'd have been like, I didn't do my homework because Mercury is in retrograde. <laughs> like that would have easily been something. You know, like I'm sorry, mom, I didn't do the dishes. Mercury is in retrograde. But now. Now that I'm an adult and there are real consequences, now all of a sudden Mercury goes in retrograde. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I feel like the, the queer community exceptionally has like super taken on astrology as their thing. So now you right. hear, so you hear everyone talking about like the star signs, how they can't date Scorpios, and right. it's always Scorpios. Why it's is like, it always Scorpios? I it's don't. It's like get no, it. sis. I'm sorry, you are a poor excuse for a human being. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you can't it, date anybody. It doesn't matter this sign. <laughs> had an Uber driver in D.C. once who tried to convince me that astrology was real because the stars were positioned differently. So the radiation comes down on you differently when you're young. And that sounds like it makes sense until you remember that the stars are always like that. And it's just that sometimes you can see them and sometimes you can't. Now, let me play angel's advocate because I don't play with devils. But <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say that astrology is not real because you do see like patterns and things. Yeah happen in our lives it make you go hmm <laughs> you know? yeah no absolutely like, it, there's probably some reality to all of it depending on which reality you choose to exist within but that's way too deep yeah for sure <laughs> so before we begin i actually want to bring this up because we've been having a little mini feud uh-huh in your name is the t silent so is it like french davenport or is it like well, really, RT nothing about me is poor. Like, absolutely <laughs> okay. nothing. I, I didn't want to imply that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, if you looked at my upbringings. Um, but no, uh, no, no, Davenport. The, the okay. tea is definitely there. Always, always the scolding hot tea. Great. That real tea. <laughs> and then, so speaking of Davenport, so you're a member of the Davenport family, which I guess many would consider was one of the, like the biggest, most prominent drag families in I'd the say scene. it's the one I hear the most often it's the best I mean there's <laughs> others but it's definitely the greatest <laughs> yeah so like I think a lot of fans like see that like namesake and like all right so that means they're a Davenport but what does it mean for the casual fan to be a Davenport okay well 
Um, and my uh, upbringings as a Davenport are very, very different than any others, um, because the Davenports is uh, they are we are a Texas family, uh, starting by Alexis Davenport in uh, Dallas, uh, and. It, they, you know, in Texas is uh, definitely a much sh- more strict uh, approach to drag, um, uh, and definitely a, a pageant-heavy city. So that those influence influences play a lot on uh, my house's drag. Um, but uh, Sahara Davenport and Deja Davenport moved to New York City, uh, and they were two uh, sickening queens with ideas of their own. Sahara, who went on to do RuPaul's Drag Race Season 2, and Deja, who is now a huge success as a makeup artist. She does Laverne Cox makeup. She's one of the head makeup artists on uh, Pose. Um, and she Deja was my drag mother. Um, but See, I'm I'm like a New York City bad bitch though, so like, mm-hmm. yeah, like I have all of those pageant influences from Texas, but also all of those like rock star New York City like real artist vibes. Um, so what it means to be a Davenport is that you have a uh, amazing support system. For me, what has meant is I've had an amazing support system to really cultivate and create whatever kind of drag I wanted, as long as it was like refined and polished. Um, Deja and Sahara would say a lot of things growing up, like, make sure it's clean. Like, you can be a rock star, but make sure it's just, like, every, you know, every I is dotted and T is crossed, you know? Got it. And then you brought this up about how you've done both, like, the drag, the pageant scene and the New York City club scene. Has doing club shows influenced your pageantry and all and vice versa? Absolutely. Um, I really started doing pageants when clubs like, you know, uh, Splash and XL started closing and there weren't really stages for me to put together production numbers. And I, as a drag queen, actually, me as a person, I am a production. Like, <laughs> it's like a lot in life. Like, I make an egg and it's a production. Um, <laughs> so, like, I needed more production in my life. And I found that, like, the girls were bringing it at pageants. And they were having, like, you know, 20 dancers flown to Chicago to do Continental. And I was like, um, sis, no, no, no. <laughs> I need a part in this, too. So, taking my New York City influences, for sure. But, like, that beautiful production uh of uh, pageantry and how like uh you could do everything so like really well put together and clean um th- both of those things just have consistently one after another stacked on on my drag in the 11 years that I've been doing it got it and then on the topic of pageants i think a lot of people that get into drag through drag race hear a lot about pageants but aren't really quite sure what happens at one what a drag pageant is would you consider it just like it's a beauty pageant but drag or is it its entire thing like its entire own thing how would you describe it um it's its own cult (laughs) (laughs) it really is it's like a bunch of people spending thousands of dollars to have their art um uh validated by a panel of judges uh or, or in a plastic crown Oh, wait, but that's also every drag competition. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, but the the fun and love in it is that, like, it really is, like, um, for me, it was always, like, a master class and, um, and what drag is, you know? Mm-hmm. And would you say that the stereotype that pageant queens have, like, a different attitude from club queens is accurate? Nah. No, they're different... There are different kinds of people in every group. There are different kinds of people in every clique. You know, like, people are 
fucking people. Mm-hmm. Like, like there's this like, like there's there's no one kind of person in any field of any color, shape, size, anything. Like every single group amongst us has a amalgam of people. <laughs> yeah, got it. So in previous interviews, you've described yourself as having some pretty strong anxiety and how that can change things for you. Oh, yeah. So how do you handle this when your profession is so much about performing in public and maintaining this image? Does it end up being, does drag itself become a relief from anxiety or does it have the risk of exacerbating it? Um, I never have it when I'm on stage. It never, like once I hit the stage, it's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like it definitely calms down. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I keep I keep my shit one hundred percent real. I like I don't like the idea of anyone ever discovering that I was putting something on. So even though like it's drag, I like am always like terrified at the idea of what if they realize that like that's not who I actually am. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? So I just try to stay one hundred and like when I'm feeling uncomfortable and anxious, I am just honest and real with it. And I overcome it by sharing. Um, I think that a lot of the things we could strive to overcome in the world we face today uh, could really be overcome by sharing. If we started talking about some of the problems we have, we probably move through a lot of them faster than we are today. So when you say that it disappears when you're on stage, when you were part of Drag Race, did the fact that there were always cameras... Oh, yes. Did it... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, like, definitely the whole time I was in... Like, from the moment I got the call, it was like an anxiety attack. Well, Drag Race was so important to me. It was... The last conversation I ever had with Sahara um, was that I was going to get ready for it. So I had had that, like, weight on me, which is unfair. Like, I should have never taken that on. Like, mm-hmm. that's not what she intended from that. Drag races seemed like something that I had to do to prove that my drag was valid, just like all of the pageants that I competed in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it it definitely was a validating experience, don't get me wrong, but I didn't, like, need it. And I really, truly, before, like, being eliminated from drag race and coming back and uh, experiencing what life is like afterwards and how I've been able to create art that it's like bigger than anything I've imagined and how much new things I have coming in, like how many doors are just opening in my life. It was really just a platform. Um, And if I had addressed it from the moment that I walked in the door, I might've been a little less anxious. Um, But the whole time the cameras were on, I was definitely a ball of anxiety. I could imagine. Yeah. And so on the same topic, there's been studies that have shown that like over half the people working in music have some form of mental illness. Do you find that the drag scene also faces a lot of people with mental illness that the public isn't aware of? And if so, how do you think the drag community should address this? Mental illness is not uncommon. I think it, um, especially amongst creatives mm-hmm. um i think it, it always is something we should address um we should do a better job of addressing it like in every field mm-hmm. um and i have friends in every field that deal with these you know same sort of problems it's like not abnormal yeah uh, uh especially in a place like new york city mm-hmm. uh, you know um i find i also find that i don't have anxiety when i'm not in new york you know mm. um so like these are things we should all be talking about definitely so to move on a little bit from that so you've talked about how your drag is and your platform you use to get political and you've been outspoken about gun violence and inequality 
So considering the state of the country and lack of action being taken on these issues in Congress, how do you stop yourself from being just disillusioned by everything that's going on? How do you keep the faith, I guess? You know, like, faith is something that you can never measure. It's something, like, it's not a real thing. Like, <laughs> that, how do you keep it? You do, I don't know. Like, just I just keep living. <laughs> um, I, I think at the end of the day, I, in the beginning of the day as well, I ask myself, am I a good person? And the answer is always yes. And then I ask myself what I could do to make this world better. And then I take those actions. I I think that those are really the only faith. That's the only faith that I have really had is that, like, I um, I live my life in a way that I believe does not, like, harm others, uh, but also that once I get to leave this beautiful place we call Earth, that I've done something to service my time here, mm -hmm. not just absorb it, you know? Yeah. Do you have any, like, organizations or advice you'd give to people out there that want to support any of the causes that you support or that want to make a difference in general? Absolutely. I'm putting uh, together a huge uh, piece with Gaze Against Guns. Uh, I am going to be auctioning off all of those amazing looks that I would have worn and did wear on RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, which were some incredible pieces by, you know, ridiculous New York City designers, um, real, like, fine pieces of art. All of the proceeds from that are going to be going to uh, directly to Gates Against Guns. So I, that's definitely an organization that I'm working with right off the bat. I also uh, am working on a couple of charities with uh, the Princess Janae House. Princess Janae was a, uh, a incredible trans performer who meant a lot to New York City nightlife. Uh, and in the past, before I was on RuPaul's Drag Race, I had already done a couple of fundraisers for them uh, when I was working at uh, some clubs here in New York City. And so I'm teaming back up with them in the near future. Uh, but ultimately, um, I think that my drag, because there's just, there, there are so many drag queens whose main goal is to raise funds for a lot of organizations. That's not ultimately mine. While I would like to accomplish that as well, mm -hmm. I would like to raise eyebrows. I would like to raise up questions and ideas. I would like to change the world, not with money, but, you know, with enlightenment. I think that uh, we live in a world where money is the most, like, important thing. And, yes, that has to be addressed. However, I see a lot of members of our community addressing it and not a lot of our members of our community addressing feelings and uh, not a lot of our members of our community addressing representation. Uh, and those are things that th – those are the charities that I am trying to contribute to. Yeah, and you definitely put your money with your mouth is. It's worth bringing up the entire, like – shebang that happened with the monster bar and all that right. garbage um so that was an instance of racism within the drag scene do you find that racism is a recurring issue within the scene or is this kind of like a one-off thing and if it's a reoccurring issue how would you say manifest it's uh, racism typically manifests itself within the community um Racism is like ingrained deep in the cornerstones of America. Mm -hmm. Like it's seeped into every community. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's a disgusting 
I, you know, I used to think of it as a cancer, but it's curable. Um, <laughs> like, it, you know, it's a disgusting disease that has seeped all over to who we are as Americans. Um, and so it, it's consistent in our community and in every community. Um, uh, how, how I think we address it, how I think we move forward. Um, I was just in a dressing room. I was in Huntington, West Virginia, and I was with um, uh, Penetration from Drag Race. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were talking with another queen whose name I can't quite remember right now. I feel so bad because I'm so bad at names, but she was pretty. <laughs> um, and we were talking about reparations. And I was like, you know, honestly, I don't even need anything back. Or I don't need back pay. Can we move forward? Yeah. Like, can we start having conversations about how we treat each other in the future? I don't really care about what you did to me yesterday, if tomorrow's better. Um, I, the way we repair is start talking. I think we're doing a lot of fighting. We're doing a lot of calling out. But then what happens after you call somebody out? Now, if you don't know, immediately after I called the Monster Bar out, I also then invited the owners to a Let's Talk About It live session where we could speak about what just happened in front of a live audience. Why it had to be live? Because if those problems are brought to the forefront, so should their resolution. Mm -hmm. Um, Things like handling racism should not be dealt with behind closed doors yeah. because it's a problem that needs to be fixed everywhere. So we need to show people how we're fixing it. Um, we need to show people that it exists instead of sweeping it under the rug. Too many times it's like, oops, I made a mistake. And it's like, yeah, that might have been a mistake. You're not a racist. You made a racist comment. Cool. Address this outwardly. Let everybody discuss how it felt so that it never happens to anybody again. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So two days ago, it... It will have been a week when we actually air, but two days ago for us, we saw the last day of Pride Month come and go. Yeah. So what particular accomplishments made by the community over these last 50 years make you yourself proud? And is there anything within the Pride movement itself that you'd like to see change, strengthen, or anything over the next 50 years? There there are way too many accomplishments to even, like, call out a few or like pick out a handful um we are just such a resilient people that we are accomplishing new things every single day um it's so beautiful i was in a cab with my you know my right hand man behind me kareem um who's in the studio with us today uh and i was just like imagine what like 13 year old us would have felt like in new york city right now like seeing rainbows everywhere um, and just like feeling that love and support, um, what we could accomplish further is that, um, we are a minority and we are a minority because it's financially beneficial. Um, because it's financially beneficial, America has chosen to celebrate us now. And now that we have that platform, now that we have that medium, we should probably focus on some other minorities who aren't being celebrated or treated equally even. Like, imagine what it would feel like for, you know, a little black girl to see African-American flags in February. Mm -hmm. Imagine what it would feel like for a girl to see, you know, girl power stickers everywhere for Women's History Month. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, uh, you know, imagine what it would feel like for a Mexican-American to be celebrated. Like, yeah. uh, imagine if we had celebrated all of our minorities with all of their rainbows. Yeah. Like, 
That's the world we need to be looking towards, and that's the world we need to be fighting for, especially as a community of warriors, of soldiers who have done nothing but accomplish things for ourselves. The next step is to pull in all of those others in need. So you performed all across the country in places like the Keys, New Jersey, and, of course, New York City, where we're here now. What things do you feel are universal across all of these different drag scenes, and is there anything that you find distinct about the New York City scene? Um, the things that are the same, and it's uh, so mind-blowing to acknowledge because this is exactly what's the same about every single drag queen. Okay, you want, you want to know what's the same thing? About every single drag queen, get you ready? Every single drag queen thinks they're the greatest drag queen in the <laughs> entire world, including me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> now that we've got that out of the way, we can realize that none of us actually are. Um, uh, um, but what what is distinct about New York is that in New York, we actually are the greatest drag queens in the entire world. Um, uh, New York is such a hub of art and culture. And even though it's a ball of anxiety in a place where nightlife is like hanging itself by the penis, um, <laughs> like uh, it's, you know, and, and, and this has become some like weird Mickey Mouse version of like the movie we saw in Rent. Still, there is no place on earth that cultivates this much creativity um inspiration there's there's no place like it where artists are are like birthed like through the fire it's like some denarius stuff like you know like yeah. you have you come out of new york you come out like i'm a dragon you know <laughs> you know and it breeds a like certain kind of queen that doesn't exist anywhere else why do you think new york does that in no place else um, because if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Those aren't just words; those are facts. <laughs> yeah, you can go anywhere else, and you can you you'll see. Like it, you could be you. Let me tell you something, and this is real talk, and this is no shade to any of the places that I've been, because I really truly love meeting all of the local queens everywhere and experiencing how great drag is in every place. And there's always the most sickening queens everywhere. But let me tell you. New York is where all of those queens move to make it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really like New York, L.A., and Chicago, and, you know, parts of Florida as well, Like yeah. where, like, drag is, like, just booming. But New York has just such a, uh, lots of different uh, types of drag. Like, there's not one kind of, like, label to put on the New York queen, which is so dope. Got it. So, speaking of New York queens, we spoke with Peppermint, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, hi, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) About how drag races led a lot of queens to feel that they need to spend a lot more and more money in order to make themselves stand out and seem more like drag race material. Oh, yeah. You you yourself have even talked about how much money you had to take out for the outfits that you... Right. For drag race. Um with Drag Race being the goal for so many queens these days, how do we also prevent the drag scene from being exclusionary, exclusionary to those who can't afford to go all out on money? And they're um, we crown people like Evie Adley. Mm-hmm. Like that's that was a step in that direction. Um, that was incredible. Um, it's because it's really not about what you can spend. Now, I want to be very clear that I spent a lot of money because I got some big old ideas. And whenever it was posed to me that, oh, you spent money on a dress, I was like, no, these are like real 
concepts that like yeah. you know like that that were just expensive mm-hmm. um um because the kind of drag that i like to create is unattainable drag like mm-hmm. i want to kind of look like something that you couldn't get mm-hmm. like and if that's your drag then it's going to be expensive mm-hmm. um but there are other kinds and they're just as valid uh and you could do those too like evla can take trash and make that jellyfish you made because it was legitimate trash um <laughs> and you know and and she did not smell so all of this <laughs> just to be real my sister does shower um <laughs> um when i started doing drag i i didn't have money um i you know some of my favorite looks are were like you know traffic cones sewn into a leotard and purses thrown into you know shoulders pads and like those things look like couture girl like i mm-hmm. I wore them like they were the ticket yeah. they got me to where i am today now i'm not in a place where i'm like creating those things left and right but like so many pieces and elements even though my drag is expensive so many pieces and elements are those like still safety pinned hot glued ideas that pull it all together you know um and that's so much of the brilliance we can never forget that yes Regarding these outfits that you had commissioned, you've said that your fringe look that you showcased on Drag Race, which, by the way, I'm just going to put this out there. I usually hate the fringe category, but yours was one of my favorite outfits oh, that week. You. I was really surprised. I forget if it was like my favorite overall, but I definitely remember praising uh, it. I'll let you. I'll just let you go ahead and say it was your favorite. Of overall. course, That's favorite fine. one overall. Thank you. Thank you. So, <laughs> it you've said how it represented everyone lost to gun violence. Now, this made me consider. Of all of the looks that you didn't get to use and debut on the show, which one was your own favorite that you really wish you could have showed off on Drag Race? Um, my favorite look that I wish that I could have shown on Drag Race uh, for the sequin runway, uh, I had uh, Diego Montoya make me mm-hmm. a beautiful gown. Um, and um, we went back and forth with doing because I, I was getting to the place where I was about to do all of these honey and bee-themed costumes, and I knew I was about to do all of that for branding reasons. And he, yeah. like, posed to me that, like, maybe he should do something like that. And I was like, I'm I'm working on that already, so let's work on something else. And he said, like, what if you did muted sequin? And I said, oh, yeah, like, natural things, like Mother Nature. So we came up with this, like, Mother Nature idea uh, for And I... It was so important to me because um, I've been able to, like, not only just power through and have, like, a beautiful life and career for myself, but I've been able to, you know, be a really big part of a lot of other people's careers. Um, and in your city, like, we call that a drag mother, mm-hmm. um, but it's it, because I legit have babies. <laughs> yeah. um, and, um, and my baby, Jace Vegas, you know... Uh, helped me pick up that dress and it just and I tried it on and like burst into tears and it was like this is just the most beautiful thing and I'm sitting here with like it it I just I felt the awesomeness of how much it meant to be me for other people. Um and I I wish I'd gotten to share that. Got it. So for those of us who didn't get to see it in that case where can we see it now? You can check it out on my Instagram, Honey Davenport Official, which for some reason is shadow banned, mostly because I'm a black person who shows his butt, because if I was a white person who showed his butt, that wouldn't happen. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, um, 
But uh, also, you can check out that beautiful dress and my music video for Cocoa Butter, um, yes. which features Kareem Mick Jagger, Chase Vegas, Will Sheridan, and Nidra Bell. Great. So it's been a pleasure talking with you, honey. If the people want to see you, I know that you have a uh, little residency at Lori Beachman in July. Yes, July 11th, 12th. What? 11, 12, 13th. Oh, look at me. Yes, 11, 12, 13th. I am performing Raw and Unfiltered, the live concert, which is a concert series of all of the music that I've released during Drag Race. But finally, you get to see the whole storyline. Everything actually, all of the pieces that I released during the season all connect and tell one story about what it's like to be a queer person of color in America today. Gotcha. And is there anywhere else that people could see you before or after then? I am a good old New York City local queen, and you can catch me at Rebar in Chelsea on Wednesday nights at 9.30 doing a little show I like to call Play With Me, which is a game show that's not about ding- bingo, more about dingo. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Same. Thank you, honey, for your time, and thank you all for listening to another edition of... Category is drag cast interviews scavaganza. That's how we're pronouncing it. Okay. Sure. Connie here. We're doing it live. Also known as making it hard to edit this later. Peter. That's me. Uh, listen to us wherever you listen to things. If you're listening to us on FM radio, then you can find us on Apple Podcasts and pretty much anywhere else. If you're listening to us pretty much anywhere else, then you can find us in the New York City area on 89.1 WNYU. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Miss Darling, for the song, Young Lovers, that we use in the intro and outro. And have a lovely evening. <laughs>